Hey, quick program note just before we get started. We're going to cover some difficult themes in this episode surrounding sexual assault and acts of homophobia. Nothing too graphic or detailed, but just want to give you a heads up. If that's not your cup of tea, feel free to skip this one and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Well, I just poured myself a drink. I'm sitting down here with the none other than the wonderful Allison Hillman. I'm Jessica Nani, and this is our podcast, Salt Lime Storytime, and we are so excited to get into this week's episode theme. Allison, do you want to tell the 3.5 listeners, not including my mom, what we are talking about this week? <laughs> Thank you so much, Jess. I would very much love to do that. We are discussing dating in Utah. Um, because this is a storytelling podcast, we are getting stories from different perspectives about, um, what it is like dating in a predominantly Mormon and very conservative culture, also very predominantly white culture. Uh, I am doing it from a queer perspective because I am gay and that's all I've really known dating here. And, um, Jess is doing it from a straight perspective, Um, And we each sent out surveys to some of our friends and I got some responses back about their experience dating here. And anyway, I'm very excited to discuss these with you. And I know that you also got some stories and responses back from uh, people as well. So I'm really excited to get into this topic because there is just such a unique dating culture in this state. And Mm -hmm. even as somebody who's been in a long-term relationship for the last three and a half years, I still, the horrors of dating in this state are still, they still haunt me. And I had the privilege of dating as a straight person in this state. So the queer community has had it even worse. So I'm really excited to hear kind of your perspective, Allison, and the perspectives of your respondents. But I also have some really interesting concepts, both from married and unmarried people on my quote unquote straight side. So it's going to be really good, but um yeah, I'm excited. But first right, off, Allison, I haven't talked to you. How have you been? I've been great. I uh, The most exciting thing I did is I went to Goodwill and bought a chair. So my original setup was dragging a fold-out table to the middle of the kitchen because my apartment is so freaking small that we don't actually own a chair. And so I would like drag the table out and then pull out one of our like camping chairs, which had been outside. And even though it wasn't directly in the rain, it was still moist. And so it, (laughs) sorry, I hate that word. It got moldy. And so I was sitting in like a black mold lawn chair in my kitchen recording these first few episodes. And so I finally said enough (laughs) and went to Goodwill and bought a chair and another little table so that I can record in my living room comfortably. But the world of that, that story is it was very exciting to get actual furniture that I could like use comfortably to record this podcast. I'm very excited about it. But yeah, that's me. Jess, I think that you had a much more exciting week than I did. Would you like to tell okay. me about Disneyland? Um, yes, I did go to Disneyland last week. It was an utter delight. I am a Disney adult now, so shame on me. But also it was so freaking fun star wars lands if you're a star wars fan 
life-changing. My dad, Corey, shout out Corey, cried multiple times. We love things that make grown 40-something-year-old men cry in like a happy, positive way. Absolutely. It was a delight. Anyway, to hop in, are we ready? Should we start? Yes, please. Are we are we ready to talk about the traumas of dating? <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think we we had the idea to start out each of us with one of our best dating stories. And yes. I we unfortunately both have quite a few. Um, Jess, would you like Odd to start? Days. Yeah. So I had a pretty unique college dating experience. I had an on again, off again, long term boyfriend in college. So my dating really came in spurts when he and I were on our various breaks. Uh, So kind of my big one, the first time that I really, this was like three months after I'd left the church, we, I had taken a break from this, this long-term relationship. And I was on Tinder for the first time because up until that point, I'd met all of my dating prospects, either through school or through class or whatever. And so it was my first time setting up a dating profile. So I set up this Tinder Allison and Johnny helped me set it up on Johnny's at the time boyfriend's uh, couch and we're like getting it all together. I had my iconic Tinder bio, the whole bit. I was ready to go and we start swiping and I swipe through a couple. I land on this cute guy who was in a, who was 25. Keep in mind, I was 19 at the time. So what I was doing, putting my age up to 25 insane but also what this 25 year old was doing putting his age down to 19 yeah I could as never. a 25 year old now no. can't think about it a little too hard my anyway, cutoff's like 23 I don't know about you like I mean I have a long-term relationship now so okay uh, this is fair but 22 23 I know the can't. yeah anyway if I were to get back on tinder I think that my range would be like 27 to 40 and I, I do swipe. just want to say real fast, I would date older too. The youngest I would date is 22 or 23. Yes. I just wanted to say that I, that's not the cutoff. That's where it starts. Got it. Anyway, <laughs> please continue. Yes. So I, I swipe right on this guy who we, I will, he'll remain unnamed for his sake. And I have a name for him. <laughs> we can't call him that else. <laughs> okay we swipe I swipe right on this guy we have a good little chat he's in Salt Lake so I'm like mostly just thinking okay this is good like tinder messaging practice whatever in the course of this conversation he's like I'll drive up tonight and at this point it's like 9 30 10 p.m at night and he's driving up from Salt Lake and I was like (laughs) lol you won't do that but (laughs) the man does it the man drives up from Salt Lake to see me and his only exchange is like, you get a, you get a pizza and we'll hang out. So naturally. Wait, here's the thing. The devil works hard, but horny straight men work harder. Yes, absolutely. So he drives up my little cohort of friends. I, they follow me in their car. Allison in the driver's seat, Johnny, Dax, the crew of my friends who have helped me set up this Tinder profile, get in a car and they follow my car to the Logan city mall parking lot. And if you've ever been in that mall parking lot, if Logan was a little bit bigger, things would definitely be happening more in that parking lot of the illegal nature. It is, it is a hellscape of an empty parking lot. I park, they park behind a bush and wait for me for this guy to show up. He shows up, he gets in my car. We eat pizza for a minute. 
I watch my friends peel out of the parking lot and I'm like, all right, he seems cool. Let's go to a dark park and make out. We get on the swings. We're talking about all these things. The conversation flows really well because I'm an incredible conversationalist. And like, and it turns out he has the same autoimmune disorder that my mom does and my brother. My mom and my brother both have Crohn's. It's a gastrointestinal thing. um, And it can be pretty catastrophic if it happens to you young. So he's telling me about all of his medical trauma. And because my mom was like pretty recently diagnosed at the time, like we really connected on this medical trauma. And he's like, I've never told a first date this before. Like we had this very emotional conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a great like first date. I'm really enjoying it. We make out on the swings under the moonlight. It's very romantic. And then he's like, do you want to go back? to your place. And I was like, sure. My friends are probably asleep, but like they're there. So I'm safe, blah, blah, blah. So we drive back to my roommate's house and like sneak in and I can hear Dax is still awake a little bit. So I'm like, okay, if anything bad happens, Dax will like come throw his soccer ball at this guy's head. It's fine. We go into my room and he proceeds to try to sleep with me. And I was like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing this. It's not, not my vibe tonight. I'm 19. I've slept with one person. I'm like three months out of being the church. I'm not ready for this. He does the like classic white boy thing of like, does no really mean no, but also like, I'm not going to push the boundary, but I'm going to keep asking you in hopes you'll say yes. So we like keep making out. And finally he like is being really, really pushy. So I finally kick him out. This is a pretty common, unfortunately common occurrence both like as a as a young woman who doesn't know necessarily how to stand up for herself and whatever but that's not the moral of the story this man finally drives home to salt lake i don't want to like be pejorative here when i say this 25 year old had our life planned out over the course of four days he would not stop texting me he would not stop talking to me about how he wanted me to come meet his mom we like made out for three hours one night and he has decided that because I know and have family with his same medical trauma, I am now this 19 year old woman, the light of his life. And it like will not end. So finally I just ghost him because again, I'm 19 years old. What am I supposed to do? I ghost out and he texts me like once a day after that, like kind of being a little bit like, why are you so rude? Like, why aren't you responding to me anymore? And finally he stops. And then he had the name of somebody else that I was also friends with. So one night I am calling this other friend that has the same name and I accidentally call this guy. Oh. Allison, have I never told you? No, this I remember story? this. It okay. just still hurts. Also, the worst part of this is I was on the toilet when this was happening. Yes, <laughs> I admit that I have called people while using the restroom. It's not a proud moment, but it's efficient. Okay. I accidentally call him and I realize like after three rings that like I have rung through to this guy and I, he answers and I hang up because I'm like, shit, 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 shit. Mm-mm. And then he sends me this super long text about how he knows what I just did. And he's like, why would you call me? Why would you like ghost me like that? And again, like I should have probably been an adult and said, Hey, I'm not interested. Let's not talk anymore. But also this man is 25 years old. I am 25 right now. I cannot imagine harassing a 19 year old that I have met for literally six hours in the way that this guy harassed me. And finally, I just blocked his number. I don't know what happened to him, but 
he worked for a local clothing store in City Creek that has since closed. I have not to this day bought any clothes from that clothing store. <laughs> I won't go in that clothing store. And it's not even that same clothing store anymore. It is done. It is like that clothing store dead to me. No more cute blazers for me from that store. So that is my unhinged. And this is like my first experience on Tinder. I think the whole overarching theme of this whole thing is that just because somebody understands and relates to your trauma does not mean that like they owe you anything beyond that. Like he was so fixated on because I was nice to him that like I had some sort of ultra mega connection to him. And that is just like something that I think also is very prevalent in Utah is just men, particularly he was an ex-Mormon, particularly men who grew up in the Mormon faith and are learned to date in the Mormon faith. There's a lot of expectation of like, if I give something to a woman, she owes me something. And there was a little bit of like, I drove up from Salt Lake to be with you and you couldn't even like go on a second date with me. There was like a lot of that guilting thing. So homeboy, if you're out there, I hope that you found a woman who is nice to you at your colostomy bag because it's really nothing to be ashamed of. And maybe don't go on dates with 19 year olds. Heard that. And seen. Mike but drop. Yeah. So that was my crazy first Tinder experience. Allison, I also know that you have had some unhinged Utah dating experiences. Yeah, sorry. There's a lot happening outside of my window right now. And I'm like, wait, there's a conversation. I want to see if I can hear it. Literally hear it through your mic. Update. It was a pizza guy. <laughs> I think you should be some hot tea day. Allison's <laughs> yeah. not right. getting murdered today. No, my tiny apartment, I have no choice but to be by my window, which is cracked open because my cat likes to stare outside and like watch the rain and squirrels. And I need to close the drapes because it's getting dark and everybody can see inside. Yeah, so I have a few unhinged stories. They all kind of have a different tone to them because again I'm dating from a queer perspective and I couldn't really date seriously until I got older because in high school like I did come out and I wanted to have the whole regular high school experience of oh my gosh like this cute like we're gonna go on a date and all this stuff but like there weren't many other people at the school that were out let alone comfortable enough to actually go on a date with me. So like, I couldn't have that like high school experience, but I did have one girlfriend in high school and we can talk about that in a minute, but my, (laughs) I have a few date stories, but the one that I don't, I don't even know if I should really share it because it wasn't so much a Utah date story as it was. She was just not mentally well. And it, it was very scary. Um, and I didn't really like, she was driving her car like down the interstate and I was like I'm going to die like she's describing how she tried to like stab her family like with a knife and then got taken to like a fucking like a mental institute and again like no shame for people that have ever been there but like she was sobbing when she was telling me this driving down the interstate at like 70 miles an hour and I was like I it's two in the morning I have no idea what to say to you right now just 
get me out of here and she also just talked about herself the whole time and like before that showed me her like imdb because she was like an aspiring actress and told me about her nightmares that she would have almost every night where she would literally vomit up shit there is so much to unpack there i know that's why i'm not really telling this chronologically because it's all just coming back to me but it didn't she take you to a concert and so you like were at a concert and like you guys had to drive back to logan so you had like this weird amount of time yes yeah that's what it was so we went on a first date and that was really weird like she took me to this play and I was like after that date I was like I don't really ever want to like date with her again because that's when she was like telling me about like her shit dreams and jumping into like black pits and swimming and drowning and like all this shit and I was like oh my god and then she texts me and is like hey I have two tickets to a muse concert and I was like oh god damn it like I don't I don't want to say no. Like I, I just said yes for the tickets. I'm not going to lie. I just said yes. I'd go to a free concert. And so, yeah, then we went and, you know, the two hour drive there basically was, again, just her talking about herself. And I'm really good at asking questions, you know, to keep people going. And then the we went to the concert. It was really weird. Um, but thankfully, there's music playing. So, like, I didn't really have to interact with her that much. And then on the way back is so she's like do you want to like stop and get like food and I was like um no <laughs> I'm good like we can just keep going and then she made a stop anyway and yeah and then the drive home was when she started talking about how she like tried to like stab her family and you know once we got back to my, like my house she was dropping me off I was like okay bye and she was like wait so like I've had like a really good time with you and I don't know like do you think this is going anywhere and I simply I didn't want to like because she was already clearly so mentally like unstable that I didn't really know what to say to get out of their lives so I was like well I mean no (laughs) because I mean like I have like so much that's going on right now and I'm not really ready to like be in a place to date anybody blah 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 that whole thing and then she started sobbing and I spent another hour in her car comforting her because she was like I just want to date somebody who loves me for me and I was like yes I agree with that you should wait for a person that loves you as much as you deserve and I'm sorry I can't be that person I was trying to be very supportive really I I do this is really nothing against her like I know she had a lot going on and but I wasn't about to try to fix another person you know what I mean she was not so actually I won't say this publicly this is an Allison only fact we know that I haven't liked the majority of Allison's girlfriends. <laughs> we can we keep can, that can, in because I do know that. We can psychoanalyze that. Here's the thing. I've liked them as individuals. I haven't liked how um, they treat Allison. So we can we can talk about that in in therapy later on. But we can say um, the same thing my about My therapist also too. has not liked most of your girlfriends. <laughs> so Holly, yeah. if you're listening... <laughs> Yeah, I've been single for a minute now, and that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, to be fair, I haven't liked many of your boyfriends. Brendan's a winner. Yes. Winner, winner, chicken dinner so far. And the reason why yes. is because he's not like your other boyfriends. Yes, Brendan was a Brendan was a tightbreaker. We love it. But um, yeah, Allison, you have had some very interesting. And I think like because your dating pool is so small, like you are in Logan specifically like it was it was kind of it was kind of just like every man for himself it's doing their best dating is a- fire. it's insanity <laughs> 
So Allison, um, you have had some pretty, like you would just said, you've had some unhinged dating experiences. I've had some unhinged dating experiences. The people that we surveyed have also had some unhinged dating experiences. One of the questions we asked was like, what is a specific story that comes to mind of an experience you had dating that you don't think you would have had anywhere else? Because again, the dating scene in Utah is super weird. And for anybody listening out of state that isn't familiar, I'm going to just kind of do a quick rundown. So the predominant culture in Utah is the LDS faith. And in the LDS faith, you are taught abstinence only. And it's like a pretty common, like it has a pretty similar Christian tropes of no sex before marriage. Um, It is pretty open on birth control, but like very anti-abortion and you aren't allowed to date until you're 16. And because most of the teenage boys go on a two-year LDS mission, you're encouraged to not have any serious dating experiences until you come home for your mission. But once you come home from your mission, you are encouraged to get married as quickly as you can. So, and this is obviously under the, the LDS church has made it very clear that they're widely, widely homophobic and we can say what we will about that, but there's no denying that they're a homophobic institution. So there's no room for queer dating or queer exploration in their, in their faith. And they do a lot of work to inform the culture to also be that way. And so growing up here, A, you're encouraged to not explore any of your sexual urges as you are experiencing them for the first time as a teenager. You are encouraged to get married as quickly as possible after your mission so you don't have the chance to explore who you are. And there are plenty of LDS relationships that have worked out. My parents are a great example of one. You know, obviously there is joy in lots and lots of different types of lifestyles, but in a lot of ways, the LDS culture informs an unhealthy relationship to dating. So with all that being said, Allison, you said that you have some interesting survey responses. Um, Do you have any specific that kind of really highlight this Utah specific dating culture? Yes. One thing that was touched on a few times um, and I have also experienced is how a lot of people are, they're just struggling with their religion and they're trying to figure it out. And you're kind of an experiment for them in a way. That's something that I've experienced a lot where I was like their first like girl date, girl crush. And it was just like, there was a point in time where I didn't mind that, but it's happened so often where there's so much religious trauma that again, like they can't necessarily be blamed for that. But there's so much religious trauma. A lot of times people will lie. I had one girl lie to my face several times about having a boyfriend until she accidentally let it slip. And then she said, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. Um, He doesn't care if it's a girl. That really bothered me. And a few other people that I also talked to had the same thing. One person who responded, Riley Smith, one of our friends from high school. Uh, so he, he identifies as gay. He uses he, him, his pronouns, uh, and you can find him at S Riley dot Smith, R I L E Y dot Smith, um, on Instagram. He's, he's lived in Utah 25 years. He wasn't raised LDS, but he was raised Catholic. And what, what he said for that question in particular was how he's had multiple experiences where he's gone on a date and found out that they're actually a married LDS man. And they would usually just at that point want to initiate a hookup. And every single one of the 
people who date men in this questionnaire that I sent out basically said that it's just a predominantly hooked up gay culture in Utah and it's really hard to find an actual long-lasting relationship because all they want to do is ever hook up what what about you what were some of the responses that you got for that so I got a couple that were really interesting. Uh, my friend Bridget, she references getting asked on a date in college by someone who was in her ward that held a pretty high profile calling. And in a in the LDS kind of ward structure, there they try to say that all callings are equal, but there are more high profile ward roles like bishopric or elders corn president, things like that, that are like, you're in front of a lot of the ward a lot of the time. And you kind of hold these quote unquote positions of power, even though they say like, there's no, there's no hierarchy there absolutely is. And she references getting asked on a date by somebody who was kind of high up in this, this calling structure. And she felt like she couldn't say no because of how, like what his social standing in the ward was, even though she had no interest in going on a date with him. And she references how he like didn't pay for anything on the date. And it was like a super, super cheap date. And he like basically bombarded her the whole time with just like his kind of opposing views to hers. And like, at one point she says, um, I was an English major and he had the audacity to say classic novels were boring and push too many inappropriate messages. Bleh. She types out the word, bleh. God bless you, Bridget. Um, And I think this is something that's actually very common in, especially in like a singles ward structure, because a single ward is the only place where you're all roughly of the same age demographic and you're all suddenly thrust into these quote unquote positions of power over each other that traditionally like your middle-aged parents or your old grandparents are holding. Like bishops are usually in their late fifties, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, like, you are working closely with, they don't let, they don't let like random 20 year olds be bishops in these wards. Usually it's calling from the stake, but like, otherwise all these callings are filled by like men your age. And because the LDS is a patriarchal religion, it's mostly men. So it's like, there is always that awkwardness of like, if I say no, am I going to look bad in the ward because I've said no to this like quote unquote high profile person. So that's really interesting. Um, another one that I got, my friend Bree, who isn't LDS, but she has she grew up in Sandy, Utah, which is a very like predominantly LDS community. And so to kind of fit in, she lived a pretty LDS lifestyle. She's referenced to me personally that like she didn't think she was ever going to drink because like none of her friends drank and she like wanted to fit in with that. She references that she dated a Mormon boy in high school and his parents, because she wasn't an LDS girl even though she like dressed modestly she didn't drink she like was basically living all the LDS values without going to church they referred to her regularly like as a temptress for dating their son before he went on a mission so that's kind of an interesting evangelical thing and then another interesting thing that kind of came through a couple of these and we'll just say we're going to talk about some difficult topics for the next little bit one of my respondents referenced how she's dated both LDS men and non-LDS men and every single LDS man that she's dated with the like one or two exceptions has sexually assaulted her, but none of the non-LDS men have. So Mm. like, that's an interesting, unfortunate product of a lack of sexual education and a lack of consent culture education.
Um, do you think that that would be different if they were taught more about sex? Like, do you think it was yes. more they just didn't understand or they were so sexually repressed that they I think didn't it's a care? mix. I, I genuinely, and like, obviously I'm not an expert on this, but as have a, you explained how you left the church and like what your relationship to the church is? So I grew up LDS. I was LDS for 19 years. I left the church in February of 2016, following the uh, LDS church's proclamation regarding uh, children of gay parents in 2015. It was kind of a mix of things. I had that. Um, I also, there was some stuff going on with an MTC president that was really, really awful also regarding sexual assault. And then additionally, I was kind of at a crossroads of either I'm going to go on a mission and marry the LDS boy I was waiting on a mission for, or... I was going to leave. So it was really cold turkey for me. I went from being a fully faithful devout member and to a hundred percent out in the course of like three weeks. And so I've dated them both. I've had both experiences. I've had really, and I will say this, I've had very respectful, awesome LDS boyfriends. I got really, really lucky with my, my last LDS boyfriend. He was a gem. Like he was, he was a really, really great guy. And I attribute that to his parents are fantastic people. And I attribute that a hundred percent to how his parents raised him and taught him about dating and the respect of women and shout out to, to his parents. But something that is really predominant as, as somebody who has been a sexual assault victim within and exterior to the LDS church, I think the thing that happens is because you have a lack of sexual education and also a ed- sexual education surrounding shame, once you are given kind of this free reign, whether you're in college or you're alone on a date for the first time in high school, you don't really understand boundaries in regards to your own body, let alone another person's body. And this doesn't excuse, like there's no excuse to push anybody on their sexual boundaries. No means no. But I also think that a lack of consent education leads to this because I think also um, when you grow up as a woman in a predominantly patriarchal society, it's sometimes easier to say yes rather than deal with like the hardship of saying no and that does not remotely mean that you are less of a victim if you were to said no multiple times and then said yes but I think that because there is a little bit of a whatever the man needs you give even if you want to say no I think a lot of particularly teenage girls that don't necessarily know they can say no fall into this experience where they're like well if he wants to I mean it's my job kind of thing and so I think it's a mixture of all of those things where it's it's the shame it's the suppression it's also a lack of education it's also like having no discussion of like what to do with those feelings like also kind of in in, in many many like religions uh, self-pleasure is not allowed. And so you also are dealing with, I mean, your body, your body gets horny for a reason. And there's a reason that you masturbate and not allowing yourself to do so is pretty fundamentally not good for you. And so you just add in all those factors. And I think that it's a, it's a pot of trouble. And I don't think that this is exclusive to the LDS culture. I think this is also just the fact that we live in a patriarchal society. I think that um, a lot of, of negative sides of, of specifically Christianity, mm-hmm. I can only really speak to Christianity because I've been a Christian, but um, I think that that also lends itself to it. But yeah, I think that's also why dating 
as a queer person in Utah is really difficult. Kind of like what you were mentioning before, where you have this experimentation of like, particularly women, because we, we tend to be a little bit more fluid. Um, like, I mean, I'm a bisexual person as well, and I've pretty much predominantly dated men, but part of that has been because, and this is really thanks to you for giving me this education. I think this is why you've run into these, these women who have kind of not necessarily purposefully used you, but that's ultimately what they ended up doing is using you as an experiment. Um, because you kind of get into this phase of like, okay, I've left the church or I'm still in the church, but I kind of want to experiment or whatever it is. Like you, you kind of come to terms with your sexuality a little bit later in life because it's such a, you're like, well, I'm attracted to men, but Mm -hmm. also have you seen a set of tits? Like (laughs) that was that was me. <laughs> um, but you don't, you don't have any education again on how to even approach dating in a same sex relationship. So like that was always my hang up is that I think that I could be in a long-term relationship with a woman, but I wouldn't even know the first place to start. And it makes me nervous to like, uh, when I was single, it made me nervous to pursue dating women because I was like, I've never dated another woman before. And I have a leg up because my best friend's gay. And like, can give me the insight of what it's like to date a woman. But like, even still until I've done it myself, like I can't necessarily have that full understanding. And so I always was worried that they'd feel used where women who don't necessarily have a best friend to explain this experience to them are just going to go ahead with it. And like, you have no idea kind of the etiquette because dating, dating in a same sex relationship is very different than dating in a heteronormative relationship. And you're socialized to date in a heteronormative way, but that doesn't apply in a same sex way because it's a different type of relationship. Right. And also living kind of a homophobic state is, makes it as a whole other level. Truly. To the internalized homophobia and all of that. It's funny you should say that because I, I do remember when I was around 15, 16, trying to actually figure out my sexuality when I started to kind of realize that my feelings might mean this not that and you know so I I remember wanting to find things that you know for instance a lot of girls growing up you know were like oh my gosh look at these like cute rom-coms like I just want to love like that and I'd watch these rom-coms and I wouldn't feel anything because I couldn't really relate to it because it was always a straight couple and so I remember like searching and searching and searching for a cute like lesbian, like rom-com, like something I could watch that just gave me the warm fuzzies, like nothing with like a graphic sex scene in it because I was like 15 or 16. I wasn't ready for that. I just wanted like, oh my gosh, like they're holding hands or oh my gosh, they kiss. Like that's what I wanted to see. And the only movies out there were either pornographic or tragic. One of them would either die at the end, kill themselves, end up with a guy get arrested and like it was always tragic there was never a happy ending and I remember even just reading books like book after book after book about coming out and it was always like really tragic I was just like I just yes it's tragic yes it's hard and I feel that that's real life I just where's the rom-com where's the fun where's the cutesy and imagine me and you I stand by this to this day is the best lesbian rom-com out there they only kiss in it like twice. And that's part of the reason why I love it so much is it's because, yeah, the two actresses in it are super hot, but 
it's not about that. It's actually about the whole really cheesy rom-com thing. And that's all I ever wanted to see when I was going through this. But now they have that. They have a lot more of that. And like TV shows, like music videos um, and movies Like you can find that more. Like there's movies like Love, Simon that are out now that are, you know, very good for that kind of target audience. But yeah, back in like 2012, there wasn't anything like that really or not nearly as much as there is now so I do remember that process made it hard and to kind of figure out what my feelings actually meant and so I just kind of had to follow my heart and follow my gut to just do what I feel is right and I was lucky because I was always had a very strong sense of self more than I think a lot of people my age and I always like was very confident in the fact that I really loved women and it was just really hard to find somebody who was also that confident and dating was extremely difficult, but anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's, and and that's, that's like the, the kicker is that especially, you know, right at that crux of like gay marriage was legalized, but there still wasn't like a lot of representation, especially like diverse representation. I feel like it started out with like white gay men got a lot of representation and now you know gay women are starting to catch up um people of color are starting to have like representation in the media a lot more in like gay relationships and and stuff so i think that it's turned it's turned a good corner but also something that i will say allison as somebody that's known you for a long time you were one of the very first people to like publicly come out at logan high especially like as a gay woman and I remember, I remember the day that you posted your coming out on Facebook vividly. Like I very much remember, and we weren't as close at that point as we are now, but like, I remember like thinking that it was so, and I hate, I hate to make a pejorative like this, but I remember thinking like as a 17 year old or how old were we when you I posted it? I was just 17, I think. Okay. Yeah. As like a 17 year old, there's no other, like you kind of don't think about it in a different, you know, more complex way. You're just not capable. But like, I remember thinking that it was really, really brave and you, you really paved a road in, you know, kind of our conservative inner city high school, particularly as a woman, because, you know, there was a couple of out gay men, but like there wasn't any real from what I knew anyway, there wasn't really a lot of, of out and proud. You are proud. And now I think that was also really important and really, really impactful. But I also know that was like a lot of pressure on you because you felt like you had to like, kind of be this, this flag bearer after. Yeah. You and that. that was like, I appreciate what you say, you know, for sure. Like I, I would like to start out by saying I was very privileged in the sense that I had a safe place to go home to at night. My mom, Carrie Bell, is the best person on the planet. We love Mama Bell so much. She was always very, very accepting of me. And I never felt unsafe. I always knew that I could come home to her. And, you know, no matter who I was, and would be accepted and loved. And I honestly think that is 87% of the reason why I was able to come out when I did. But yeah, no, I put a big more pressure on myself than was probably fair at that age to shatter stereotypes was one of my biggest things. So I really remember dressing a certain way. 
um, like very feminine, like long hair, lipstick. Like I really wanted to make it clear that you can be a lesbian, but you could also be feminine. And also I remember being hyperly aware of all my friendships with women and never wanting them to feel uncomfortable or like I was coming on to them because I wanted to make it clear to people that you can have lesbian friends and it's not creepy. Like even to this day in gyms, like in locker rooms, I like I remember before I even knew that I was gay, I was always so uncomfortable in locker rooms. Like I couldn't look at anybody. I wouldn't look at anybody. I would walk in, look at my feet, get changed. And I wouldn't, if I saw somebody changing, like I would look the other way because it was just because I was just respectful of them and their privacy and their space. And I'm still that way now in locker rooms where I almost have this, I think more than like a straight woman would of I'm going to make a purposeful attempt not to look at you so that I don't come across creepy. And also because I don't want to objectify you and sexualize you in that way without, you know, your consent. And so it was, yeah, high school was a very interesting experience. I, out of like out of the out queer people there, there were only a handful. And I very vividly remember being one of the only gay kids that never got picked on. Like my car never got vandalized. People never said anything to my face. I was lucky enough to have a lot of friends in different friend groups in that school. Like I had friends that were jocks, that were quiet, nerdy kids, that were cheerleaders. I had friends, you know, that were artsy kids. Like I had friend enough friends in all the groups that nobody picked on me. Nobody bullied me to my face. I should say that to my face because I think they were afraid of me. And my resting bitch face really helped with that. But it was all, it was all an act base. I mean, it wasn't just an act, like it was true, but it was tiring because every day it was like, what am I going to do today to shatter stereotypes? What am I going to do today to make a point? And it, I don't know, it was tiring, but I mean, that was also something that like a pressure I, I didn't need to put on myself, but I did. And I know for a lot of people that I was like their first gay friend and I took that very seriously and I knew that their experience with me would likely determine their feelings towards gay people in the future and so that's why I would be outwardly not creepy and outwardly respectful and nice and kind and funny and do my best to like be proud of who I was and consider it to them. High school was interesting. I wouldn't say it was bad by any means, but it was definitely interesting it was becoming I hate to say this term I hate to say it this way but it was becoming so much more mainstream to be queer mm-hmm. um and even like the term queer in the last couple of years has become like much more like generalized um sure. but like it's it's it was such an interesting time particularly as like a teenager to be kind of dealing with because I remember too like I remember my junior year making a conscious effort to stop using gay and the r word as like derogatory terms sure and like I look back at it now and I'm so mortified that I ever did but like I remember that was like it was like kind of a turning point like socially where that stopped being Mm -hmm. not that it was ever acceptable but like widespread I think is the better better way I used to say that's so gay yeah (laughs) like like, that's the thing is is it's just so because I know like you and Johnny and I have all talked about this where like I have a really unique experience as 
somebody who grew up LDS, but also like as a heterosexual for the most part, <laughs> put an <laughs> asterisk there, um, person where, so my grandpa is gay and has been out since the eighties, I think is roughly when he came out. Um, and I, he's had partners, he's had, he's had a husband, like, um, I, from the time I was, I remember my mom explaining to me when I was four years old, what it meant to be gay. And my mom, bless Abby Nani, because she's the best, was really like very much like, well, men and men can love each other. And, you know, there was still some awkwardness because we'd talk about how, you know, gay, being gay or being in a, in a, uh, homosexual relationship was against God's plan. And my mom always spun it as like, you know, I, I hate, I hate this term now, but at the time it was kind of how I like mentally got through it as a, as a faithful devout LDS person was you love the sin or hate the sin, which again, I hate that phrase at this point, but like at the time that was kind of, kind of my thing. And I remember like, I was one of the few members of like of people of like my LDS friend group that was so excited when gay marriage was legalized because, you know, my dad also was very much like, marriage is a state institution at this point we've chosen to separate it as a state institution so why wouldn't we allow gay marriage and like if we want separation of religion and state like you know he was really really on it and of course like for my grandpa it was so exciting because he got to get married legally and so you know it was such an interesting like dichotomy of I you know was a very LDS person but I also like had this unique background of like my grandpa's gay and I like had watched my grandpa date. Like I had my grandpa's like favorite boyfriends and like his, his ex-partner Steve was like that he was married to for 15 years. Like he, I didn't call him grandpa Steve, but like he was my, he was my grandpa in a way. He was more of a fun uncle, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. so I had this really weird experience, not weird, but like unique experience compared to most of my LDS friends is that I knew an openly gay man who was in long-term marriages from the time I was little and so to me it was always like why would this not be normal because grandpa's been doing this since I was literally born (laughs) yeah and Jess can I just say that you like again like we were friends but we weren't like super close until about our senior year of high school and our junior year of high school I remember I took you into the studio to take photos of you and that topic kind of this is before I was out publicly and that topic kind of came up about gay marriage and I remember actually (laughs) I had a crush on you at the time I'm pretty sure the way I would like kind of test crushes would I would just bring up the topic of gay marriage and just see what happened because (laughs) if it was shot down obviously I was just running the other direction as fast as I could but if you know it was met with like a different tone I would maybe like proceed you know, progress things farther. But anyway, I remember asking you that question. And again, you were very picture perfect kind of Mormon girl at that time. Like I would not have separated you from a bunch of the other perfect little Mormon girls that I knew and my friends. And again, there was, there was nothing like wrong with that girl, but she, she was in a box and she knew one thing and she was kind, but she was one thing. And I remember asking you that question. And that's when I realized you weren't in that box that because you said, well, my grandpa's gay and I believe blah, blah, like you went off about how you just showed how much of an ally you were, even though you were Mormon. And you were like the first person I met 
that was very strongly Mormon, but also very certain that they were an ally and very sure of that. And that meant so much to me. Like that gave me, that was partially what gave me the courage to come out publicly. Cause I was like, there are Mormons out there that can be Mormon and still approve of gay marriage. And that was such a big deal. I remember that day so vividly, just being so excited that I could have a friend that was Mormon because almost everybody was, but it would still be supportive behind my back too. Like you would still be supportive even if I was there or not. And that meant the world to me. And you were just, I, I really do think you were the first positive experience I had with a religious person about being gay and it really did mean the world that conversation but that's one thing I want to talk about with you actually is the how passive aggressive Mormons are because one of the things that I asked these people I sent the survey out to was what uh like any homophobic experiences that they've had in Utah and I got a lot of responses back to that question but I know personally the homophobic responses that I've experienced here in Utah were very passive aggressive like post-it note responses kind of where I w- I played softball ironically of course I did in um in the high school and I was friends with like everybody on the softball team and only like one or two of them weren't Mormon. And for a while, I was the only one who wasn't Mormon, (laughs) let alone gay. And I still was able to make friends with them. And we all became very close. But I remember they would all go out to one of their cabins and have a sleepover and would purposely not invite me. And I remember one time just straight up going up to my friend and being like, hey, like, what's up? Like, why didn't you guys invite me? And, you know, she got really uncomfortable and was like, well, it was our moms, you know, like this is after I was out publicly. And what the mom said to them is like, well, I mean, you can invite her, but just know that she'll be there when you're sleeping. And like, I was just looking for the opportunity to molest their daughters, basically. Like, and the what bothered me the most is that these mothers were so nice to my face they were so nice to me. They would always, like I was, I did photography back then. So they were like, hey, like, can you take our daughter's senior portraits or can you do this and that? And oh my gosh, like you're the best. Oh, you're so, you're so talented. You're always welcome, you know? And I always felt there was always something that was like coated in honey about it to me. There was always, I could always see something behind their eyes you know? And after that experience, I was like, okay, there it is. There it is. You don't want me to be around your daughters alone because you think that I'll molest them and you think I'm creepy and you'll think I'll try to turn them. And I remember that was very frustrating and I couldn't really explain that to her because I didn't really blame them, even though they were a part of that, but I'm not expecting them to stand up for me to their Mormon families. But I remember that was very upsetting. And I mean, other than that, like the only person who, (laughs) when I came out, my born again Christian aunt did call my mom with cures. (laughs) She was like, you know, Carrie, there are cures. But Mama Belle, being the queen she is, she shut that shit down real fast. But to this day, that aunt will still not talk to me about anything like this. Because again, I think it's just like 
I'm very out and I'm very proud about it. And I think that's protected me. And this actually kind of leads to what I want to talk briefly about is different ways that lesbians and gay men experience homophobia. I experienced homophobia passive aggressively and in the sense that people over-sexualize me. Yeah, absolutely. I will hug or hold hands with my girlfriend in public. People will stare. Men will make eyes. Maybe they will make comments. They will say that, hey, that's hot. Or like they will come on to us. I even told you about, you know, that time me and the girl I was with the time we're at a gay club in Salt Lake, holding hands, walking to a bar and two men came up and separated us, physically grabbed each of us, pulled us away and started flirting with us individually. Like we weren't just holding hands and walking together. Like it's, it's, we are so overly sexualized, but the homophobia that gay men have experienced that the people who submitted the survey to me experience are so upsetting. For instance, I think this was, this is again, Riley and how there's a host that had a crush on him at the restaurant he worked at. And Riley said, sorry, like I'm engaged and I'm engaged to a man. And he says, after that point, the crew became extremely hostile and homophobic towards me. As a host to send good friends with the manager, she interfered with my seating sections. I started being assigned a single two-top shift every night with no other tables or sections. I got called a okay, I got called a faggot more than once, as well as being told to choke on dick by other employees. I eventually just quit with no notice after working there for only a few short months. And then he also discusses a time when him and his husband just moved to Salt Lake. They were holding hands, walking in the grocery store when a guy drove past and screamed at us, calling us faggots. Since then, we are usually more reserved with any sort of public affection. And I've never had that kind of reaction. It's always been hypersexualized. Ian Nesbitt, another one of my friends that submitted the survey, I was there when this happened, but he had a table. So he wears a a necklace that is like the symbol of like the the men the male symbol with like the circle and the line and he has that but it's two of those interconnected so it's like a gay yeah a gay necklace I don't really know um and he had a table they were very religious they came in all the time large parties five minutes before close they're so sickly sweet nice to your face tip like shit every single time and always leave the card for their church and after one specific night after he was their server, the guy, the, I, I don't know, I can't remember what his official title was because I don't think he was Mormon. He was a different part of, he was in a different church that was just as bad, but he was like essentially the bishop of that church. Yeah. Pulled him aside and said how he should stop wearing that necklace because the children are going to have questions and they shouldn't see it. And because it was bad and all this other shit and how he just started berating him for the fact that he was wearing a men love men necklace after he had given them fantastic service five minutes before we were supposed to close. And it was like a party of 15 and they tipped terribly. I, I was there the night that that happened. It was so upsetting for Ian and for all of us, you know, the managers ran out into the parking lot after them, but unfortunately they had left by the time they got there because they were going to tell them to never fucking come in again but 
it was just so sad to see how that affected him. Like he was so upset and I don't know, it's just, I haven't experienced anything that outwardly homophobic and that like, I've never been torn down quite like that. I've just, I'm just at the point where if a guy hits on me, I have to tell him I have a boyfriend because the only way he'll respect me is if I tell him I'm with a man. The minute I tell him I'm gay, that's an, like that's oh, him being watch? like oh hey what's up yeah exactly or like oh I can change that so I don't even tell men I'm a lesbian like usually people yeah. think that's the best excuse but it's actually one of the worst because it gets you more attention so I just yeah. tell them I have a boyfriend or if I'm with Johnny or another guy I'll if it's bad sometimes I'll just hold their hand and be like can you just yeah. pretend to date me like on your birthday a lake effect remember we were all dancing and those guys kept like coming in Johnny had to keep stepping between them and me and dancing with me and it is just that's the best way because men respect men Mm -hmm. but not if they're gay (laughs) well and like that's great like I I've we've we've talked about this before where um the the gay club the main one in Salt Lake Suntrap I have been groped there more (laughs) than anywhere else because single straight men will go there and try to take advantage of this queer space and the women that go like the straight women that go with their gay friends and it's that like double entendre like it's that difficult thing where like I felt guilty for going to sun trap even though I'm a bisexual person um because I feel like I'm invading a queer space and inviting these straight men who are there to take advantage of the uh, women there and also like <laughs> low-key commit homophobic hate crimes yeah and just so you know like again like the story I told they're not there just because straight allies go they're there to pull apart girls that are clearly together yeah. and try to hit on them so it's not they would do that whether or not allies yeah. or bisexuals or women dating men were there or not they're there to predatory kidding. it's the yeah. worst it's like I remember thinking I like literally stared at this guy open mouthed being like you cannot be this stupid to think that this is where you're going to pick up a woman look around my guy look around you could not have come to a worse place try to pick up a girl oh my gosh and even just taking my brother there like last year um my brother's straight and even though he's he's open enough that he's like done things with guys so like he knows that he's straight God bless him. We love Kyle. He he went to the gay club because he had never been. And I was like, let me show you a good time. And so we went and he was like, afterwards we came back and he was like, he was like openly dancing with guys. Like he would tell them straight up like, hey, I'm not gay. I'm just here with like my family or whatever and whatever. But after we came back, he was like, I just, I feel like I just got for a first time a taste of what it's like to be a woman in a club. Like I've never had a guy just try to stick his hands down my pants before. And I was like, Kyle, that's exactly what it's like (laughs) dancing at a club as a woman. You just experience what it's like to have guys come on to you, even though you tell them you're not interested, even though you tell Mm -hmm. them that you're not there, you're not their same sexuality or same sexual orientation or same sexual preference. You just experience exactly what it's like to be a woman or and the exact reason why I don't say, hey, I'm a lesbian. I say, hey, I have a boyfriend. Like, mm-hmm. it's that same reason. And I will never forget him saying that because it was like a moment for him as a straight 
white man where he was like I think I just experienced the first time what it might feel like to be a woman yeah in that kind of setting and it was upsetting and open like eye-opening for him God bless Kyle for having the awareness to understand that that is what happened to him but I literally have a video of a guy coming around from behind and grabbing his junk and my brother moving his hand away and pushing it away but like still dancing but I literally it's very subtle I didn't see it the first like several times I watched the video but like on the video you can literally see this guy groping my my brother without his permission oh my god oh god it's so frustrating but that's again just consent culture and gay and straight culture Clearly, Allison and I had a lot to say on this topic, and this episode quickly turned into a three-hour record. We had a really hard time cutting it down, so we decided to turn it into two parts. Part two is live now. You're welcome to go listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can listen to it now. You can listen to it later. Frankly, we don't care when you listen to it, but we're excited to see you for part two. Thanks. Bye.